Hello out there and welcome to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com, which is the Gamecock site on Rivals. I'm Caleb Alexander, joined by Alan Cole, and today we're going to very quickly uh, preview the matchup with Vanderbilt this weekend. The Gamecocks are looking to get bowl eligible, sitting at 5-3 and three right now. Um and really their best opportunity uh, left this season to get that sixth win, although I still think they have a shot to get a couple more than that, even though, <laughs> um, you know, we, we're at the point of the season where they're coming off their worst performance of the season, probably. Uh, definitely against the worst team, worst performance against the worst team uh, on the schedule thus far. And, you know, I, any of you that have ever played team sports uh you know that that stretch between a poor performance and the next game feels excruciatingly long um and even people that follow uh this program i'm sure this week felt a little bit longer um than that four week stretch where they were kind of they kind of had things rolling so yeah uh let's kind of well we usually do start with some recruiting i will have the full weekly recruiting wrap up on the site later today um, featuring a little bit of info on Jaden Ball, who is a 2024 four-star linebacker that was supposed to announce today. But it seems like he's delaying that decision a little bit, which is probably good because I think he would have ended up at Tennessee if he would have announced today. Um, and then Nicholas Harbor, uh, which is the remaining biggest target in the 2023 class left, um, is setting up his official visits for December. So he's going to go to, he's gone to Michigan and South Carolina already. He's got three more. He's going to use all three. It sounds like um, in December and then kind of make his decision from there. So unlikely that he'll sign in the early signing period. It'll probably be a February situation unless something dramatic happens between now and then. Um, but yeah, more info on the weekly recruiting wrap up later today. So look out for that on gamecockscoop.com. All right, let's talk Vandy, Alan. And, you know, um, there's not not to disrespect the opponent or whatever, but this is a game that, that South Carolina certainly has an, a talent advantage, although we're going to talk about a couple key players on Vanderbilt. Um, but for the first time all season, I feel like the press conference on Tuesday and Wednesday, instead of focusing on the upcoming opponent, still was trying to get some some questions answered about what went down in Missouri last week. So um, what were some of those kind of key questions that continue to linger after the uh, 23 to 10 loss last week? Honestly, kind of a little bit of everything. That was one of those performances we talked about a Sunday, but that was one of those performances where you kind of have to question everything. I mean, I know the defense didn't get completely shelled in the second half, but they definitely did in the first half, which you mentioned. Um, obviously the offense goes without saying special teams didn't make a big play. It was kind of just a little bit of everything. Um, there were questions about some of the energy on the sideline, and Eric Douglas saying they didn't have that same energy as they had. Um, there was questions about the perimeter. Devonnie Reed said it himself. They were horrible on the perimeter. I wrote a story about kind of locking down the perimeter this week. Uh, there were questions about stopping quarterback runs, which they didn't do last week, and they're going to see plenty of tomorrow night in Nashville between Mike Wright and A.J. Swan. Um, and, of course, we had Marcus Satterfield in the, in the building on Wednesday. There were questions about his play calling. There were questions about Gene Bell. We did get talk to Jaheim on Tuesday as well. That's, I believe that press coverage video is on Gamecock Scoop now. Um, it was just kind of a little bit of everything unpacking of 
truly terrible performance last week from South Carolina. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said, I'm sure the staff and the players are very ready to wash uh, that bad taste out of their mouth um, and probably ready to, to move on and talk about some other things. You mentioned Lloyd, so we got an updated injury report last night from Shane Beamer on Carolina Calls. Um, sounds like for the most part, pretty much everyone is healthy, but it did... It was a little concerning if you've been paying attention to the way that uh, Shane Beamer typically rolls out an injury report. He's never, unless someone's out for like several weeks, he never out and out says there's no way that they're going to play. Um, but he gave a lot of caveats whenever he mentioned Lloyd. Um, and at this point, I would expect him to be either very, very limited um, like he was last week or perhaps, you know, take the whole week off and, they, they go a different direction there. We are hearing a little bit of some rumblings that they might try to get creative with Jaheim Bell again, which they did earlier in the season. Wouldn't that be um, funny? After all the stuff last week, just come out the first series, Jaheim Bell and Wildcat. Hey, honestly, sometimes the the squeaky wheel gets the grease or whatever, right? Like <laughs> it, 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 if, if I'm uh, Satterfield and Beamer and, you know, want to keep Bell around next year, um, Perhaps the, there's something to just, hey, let's get you the ball however we can this week. Yeah, and I do think that you do bring up a legitimate point, though. If Marshawn Lloyd, I think we're all in agreement he's not going to be a bell cow this week. Um, he's not going to do what he was doing earlier in the year. Even if he plays, it's going to be on a snap count or a pitch count, whatever you, whatever you call that. Um, where else are the carries coming from? Because Juju McDowell in between the teeth of the defense very doesn't work, and Satterfield kind of said as much. This week, you know, he's five foot seven going into the teeth of an SEC defense. That's just not going to play. Haven't seen that much of Christian Beal Smith this year. Like, I don't know. Is this the Dante Miller week? I doubt it, but they do have other running backs. They haven't really used all year. I'm not really sure where the carries are going to, how the carries get divided up if Lloyd can't take his usual 15 or whatever. Well, and this kind of, not to get too down this road again because we could do it at every single podcast but this goes back to are you calling the best offense for your personnel because yeah marshawn lloyd can do certain things in the run game that juju mcdowell can't but we've also seen juju mcdowell can be an effective runner if you get him to the edge and get him in space um so i do think he needs to be a part of the run game but yeah you you don't put the five seven 170 <laughs> pound guy right up the middle which i believe they did on like a third and short last week um, yeah, it was a third and two, and yeah. of course that didn't work because why would it work? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think you you change the strategy a little there, and then, yeah, maybe we do see Bell take some of those up-the-middle carries, which, I mean, he's a big guy to tackle. Um, early in the season when they were giving them those carries, it also felt like if people kind of went after his ankles or whatever, he usually did go down pretty quick from that first uh, defender. But, um, you know. He he's been effective on that little fullback dive here and there throughout the season yeah, too. Well, what about the, what about a pitch? What about perimeter stuff? How about a jet motion to Jaheim Bell? You know they were doing that a little bit. There were some like option looks with him. I think in the Georgia State game, going all the way back to Week One. Like you get him with a head of steam going around the edge, and you get his momentum going. We talked about how you know he's a big body. He's tough to bring down, and once he has the head of steam, like and there's something there too. You don't have to just run between the tackles because that's where you're missing Lloyd. Yeah, one well, to be fair. Uh, at some point, it felt in the early part of the season, it felt like giving those carries to to Bell was taking away carries from 
a blossoming Lloyd. Um, but if you don't have a healthy Lloyd, then I think there uh, is even more reason to maybe get a little bit more experimental in the grab bag. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, it won't surprise me to see Bell take some carries this week. Um, <laughs> or them to try right, to shoehorn him into the game. Over under Jaheim Bell touches between running and six and a half between running and receiving. I was gonna put it at five, so over, I guess you're saying. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was gonna put the line at five, so I don't know. It's uh, it's I think that line's about right. Um I'll say under because I just haven't you got to see it to believe it kind of yeah, thing. I would say I haven't gotten any confidence that they uh, can find a way to consistently. I do think that they on the first couple of drives, they'll probably try to shoehorn it to him. But we'll see if that continues throughout. You get the it. You want Jaheen. He's, he's on the field here. That kind of thing. Right. Um, obviously, Spencer Rattler is going to have to play a cleaner game than he has through most of the season with his, what is it, five touchdowns to nine interceptions, yep. I believe. Um, and he's also lost several fumbles at this point, so really needs to play a clean game there because Vanderbilt, um, while they do have a talent disadvantage, um, you know, they're opportunistic. They're not bad on defense. I mean, they've taken some some pretty hefty blowouts here and there, but they, they've played a little bit better as of late as well. They only lost by three points to a Missouri team that just beat South Carolina. Um, and then defensively, like you said, South Carolina's – tended to struggle with the quarterback run. They struggled last week with the quarterback run. Um, so they'll have to kind of lock in on that as we'll see a little bit of AJ Swan and um, Mike Wright. Mike Wright throughout. Um, and then they have a pretty good running back in Ray Davis as well. Um, their offensive line. On the outside. Off- too, yeah. Receiver. Yep. The offensive line is um, solid in the past uh blocking like they've only given up eight sacks all year but they aren't getting a crazy push on um defensive lines for the running game or anything like south Carolina's defensive line should uh have some opportunities to sort of impose their will on this game but they're smart about how they protect the quarterback they don't give up a ton of sacks um i think the defensive line and the edges are going to need to affect the quarterback in third and long situations um, and it may look kind of like Texas A&M where you don't have, you know, a seven sack game or whatever they had against Kentucky. But, you know, if you're getting some pressure, if you're uh, making the ball come out a little bit early and all that, then I think you're doing your job there. Well, that's the whole thing. It's complimentary football. It's kind of what they weren't doing against Missouri, but have done at different points this year. It's winning on first and second down. You get, in, you get Vanderbilt into some of these obvious passing down situations, some of these situations where quarterback run might not be as much in the playbook or even an option. Um, and you should be able to let your talented defensive linemen, I'm specifically talking about guys like Zach Pickens, guys like Jordan Birch, uh, Tonka Hemingway, whatever, take over the game a little bit. Um, I think that's, I don't want to say that's what you need, but I mean, zero sacks last week. And I know pressure matters and if you can affect the quarterback. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to get him down, but Zero sacks is still zero sacks. There were a lot of points in that game where a sack on a third down. I think Missouri converted six of eight third downs in the first half. Could have changed things early, and it never came. Yeah, and they're going to have to sort of have force Vandy into some negative plays on first and second down. So right now, Vanderbilt's averaging 4.8 yards per rushing play when you take away sacks, um, which is not bad. Uh, Carolina's allowing 4.7 
Uh, so, you know, if that trend continues, then it could be sort of one of those low scoring methodical games where Vanderbilt strings together a few drives, maybe for field goals or a touchdown here and there. And we have another sort of ugly game. Um, we, we, you talked a little bit about the players talking about energy. Um, I think that that's going to be a factor here. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, a game at Vanderbilt, but it's not a typical SEC environment. Have um, you? I, I have not. I haven't, but I mean, you can tell. Just I've seen, from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're not going to be able to play up on that energy. It also looks like you might have a little bit of a sleepy, rainy sort of game yesterday or tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to have to find within yourself uh, how to get up for a game like that. Um, I mean, maybe it's the promise of bowl eligibility for the seniors. Uh, maybe it's just getting the sour taste of, out of your mouth from last week. But whatever it is, you're going to have to find that internal motivation because you're not going to get it from the crowd. I sound like a broken record, but this is a game where you have to start fast. We say that most weeks. We saw what happened last week when they didn't start fast. They were down 17-0. and They'd only run, I think, 11 plays. It was Shane Beamer said on Tuesday. Um, if you start badly, if Vanderbilt scores first, if Vanderbilt can play from ahead, because Vanderbilt, I mean, Clark Lee is a defensive coach. He was at Notre Dame. He was a, he was a defensive coordinator there. He's coached linebackers in the past. And you can tell, like, this Vanderbilt defense – they tackle well. They fly to the ball. I really don't think this is a week for bubble screens, but that's a separate conversation, the way Vanderbilt tackles in space. Um, but point being, you fall behind. I don't think it's a given you can pull that back because um, Vanderbilt does skew towards defense in terms of strengths. They do force turnover as well. Um, and this isn't a game where you're going to be able to get into a shootout and just hope you get the ball last. So, yeah, you're going to have to start quick, and that probably involves, let's face it, scoring a touchdown early. Yeah, and you know, this is another week where special teams or defense can make some big plays to kind of take some of that pressure off the offense because we have seen um, when the offense gets forced to consistently uh, win the ball game, it just hasn't happened. Um, and you know, I don't know that it's fair to expect that to happen now. Although, if it were to happen, this is your best opportunity left on on the schedule for sure. Um, it was also announced this week. I, I, I forgot to mention this in the injuries that wide receiver Corey Rucker is going to have season ending foot surgery. Uh, he tweeted that he had surgery the other day and everything went successful. And he also tweeted that he plans on being back next year, which we were kind of wondering, you know, there, there were some rumors that he was leaving the team and all this stuff. And we were trying to figure out what was actually going on, but it sounds like it's just this injury and really he's never gotten his footing for, lack of a better term uh, uh, throughout this season. Um, I mean, he did have the one long touchdown. He, um, he touchdown. tweeted it or maybe it was Instagram, but hundred percent success rate this year. He has one catch, one for a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and do, I do think he can definitely be a factor next year uh, if he can get healthy. So that's just something to kind of keep in mind. He won't be he said he should be ready for spring ball. Yeah. Um, and speaking of guys out, the only other guy who's been ruled out this week is Terrell Dawkins. We kind of knew that was coming. He isn't quite bad. He hasn't played since the Charlotte game. And at that point, Beamer said it would be out about six weeks. And this is six weeks in Charlotte. So you're still tracking about what we thought it was. We'll see if he plays against Florida next week. Uh, Beamer said he did practice this week. So it sounds like that's on schedule, but he's still not going to play Saturday. Yeah. Another big factor is it sounds like Nick Emanwari and Devani Reed will both be healthy for this one um that little three man rotation of 
him, DQ Smith, um, and and Eamon Worry was working pretty well there in that four-game winning streak. And we saw that Missouri really exploited the edges um, when Reed and Eamon Worry were both out for stretches of that game. They also exploited him a little bit in the passing game. So that'll be that'll be good uh, if both those guys are 100% this week. Um, Brad Johnson too, didn't play last week. Speaking of the right. edges, the linebacker that would help you set the edges. Um, he did not play last week. Bieber said he should be going to go tomorrow. Um, they're pretty healthy on defense right now, it sounds like, other than Terrell Dawkins. Right. And and like you said, um, according to uh, Chris Lee, who is the publisher at VandySports.com on Rivals, um, he did a little write-up for us that we do every week called View from the Other Side. You can check out on GamecockScoop.com. Um, according to him, uh, the backup, Mike Wright, or not backup, but, you know, the, the 1A, 1B, um, runs a 10.8 in the hundred meters. So, uh, you know, true, true track speed. Um, and we saw last week from a quarterback that does not have true track speed, <laughs> um, that, uh, the perimeters can be a problem if, uh, South Carolina isn't kind of playing their, uh, their role when it comes to the zone read and stuff. Um, a lot of times you would have someone crash down and not have someone there or have someone there a step late. I know um, Perry McCarty, who does his uh, weekly like film session review of the game, uh, pointed out a play where Emin Wari actually did a decent play, but it was like third and two, um, and the quarterback pulled it, and he got there just like a hair too late because he hesitated on the, the run fake and ended up getting a first down by a few inches or whatever. So just got to be more decisive and play your role when it comes to playing the option well. Yeah, and I do think – I don't know what the quarterback snap, like, breakdown is going to be, but Mike Wright, like, he does have wheels. And, you know, Clayton White was talking about he had an 87-yard touchdown run against Hawaii earlier this year. Like, he's got legs. He can do the zone read stuff. He gets to the edges, which we talked about South Carolina struggled with. Um I do think you're going to see both quarterbacks in this game for Vanderbilt. Again, I don't know how that splits. I don't know if that's like run packages just for right or whatever, but Vanderbilt's, you know, you start trying to carve out a path for Vanderbilt to win this football game, um, just playing scenarios like, yeah, it's probably going to involve quarterback running and both quarterbacks being involved. Before we get on into full on predictions for what happens to this game, um, how satisfied were you? So we got, um, some media availability from Satterfield on Wednesday. We had multiple players and Beamer talk about Satterfield uh, on Tuesday. And, you know, there's this ongoing, like, we need to get Jaheim Bell the ball. He's like, <laughs> then he gets nine snaps or whatever he got last week. Um, there's this ongoing, we need to uh, simplify things on offense. You know, all these different, like, trends that we feel like we've been hearing throughout the year. Uh, do we feel like anything's drastically changed from last week to this week, or we're still just kind of waiting on it to come together? I don't think anything's drastically changed. I don't think anything can drastically change between games eight and nine, weeks nine and ten of the season. Like, I think at this point, we're two-thirds of the way in here. I said this on the Sunday show with you and Pauline, but, like, this is just who they are, I think. I mean, this kind of is what it is. Um, you're going to have to find ways to work around that especially this week, if you don't have Marshawn Lloyd, that's a big part of, of who you are. 
Um, but no, I don't think anything's drastically changed. I think the numbers might look better this week, maybe because you're playing Vanderbilt and you have chances to score. Um, but I also don't think and I made this point too. I think maybe texting with you or whatever, if they go out and score 35 on Saturday, cool. I don't know. It kind of band-aids it. You feel better for a week. I don't think anyone thinks the offense is fixed. If you put 35 on Vanderbilt, right? Yeah, I mean, and you you asked me on the podcast on Sunday, actually, uh, like what could what could he do at this point to change the narrative with you know uh, four games left in the regular season plus a bowl game or whatever? I might the 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 narrative might already be written, um, which I know several of you guys on the message board and and YouTube comments and and whatever uh, are on the fire Satterfield train. We're never, I mean, that's not our job as the media to uh, agree or disagree with that or, or anything. But um, there was some discussion on Sunday. Was it the Sunday teleconference or Saturday, Saturday after the game where someone asked him basically, you know, are you looking at personnel changes? And Beamer just said simply, nope. Um, and there was some discussion on like, oh, you know, Beamer's going to protect this guy, blah, blah, blah he's not going to come out and say, yeah, I'm going to fire him. You know, like he's, if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen at the end of the season. Uh, uh, yeah. I wouldn't make any, I wouldn't make any like uh grand prognost prognostications. That's not the prognostications uh, about what he is or isn't going to do and, and whether he is or isn't loyal to Satterfield and, and all these things there's still a lot of season left and uh, he's unless he like really wants to like turn over the reins to like kitchens or something like that, which I, I don't think he's going to do unless they have a really, really terrible showing this week or something. Um, yeah. It's just not going to happen yet. It'll probably happen at the end of the season. So I tend to think it's unlikely unless a miracle happens for Satterfield in the offense that uh, he is retained, but um, you know, there's still a month to go before we even worry about that. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of goes back to people who are calling for Luke Doty right now. Um, I really don't know what that accomplishes. Uh, I get it. People want blood. That was pretty bad last week. I still, A, I don't think there's any reason to do that midseason, and B, I'm not really sure how much immediate fix you would like. I, I don't know. It, if Marcus Satterfield wasn't calling the play Saturday, they're still not going to come out like Tennessee's offense, like 2019 LSU. You know what I mean? Like, it still is what it is um with the personnel you it might look a little bit different it might be what's the word i'm looking for structured a little bit different you know the sequencing whatever um they're not going to come out and score 50 points with a different play caller that's that isn't going to happen you uh, can't so. like throw out the playbook or anything at this point like right that's what i'm saying like you're committed to it you installed it's you're two-thirds of the way through the season plus you know a month of fall fall practices before that like this is what it is now well and uh, I mean, I, I do think that there is an argument to be made that perhaps the same playbook in a different play caller's hands would go better. Um, because to me, um, a lot of the issue is just like some people, some some coordinators or whatever, some play callers have that like flow to a game where you feel like they're able to react in real time and just see what's going and, and throughout throughout most of the Satterfield area era um, we've kind of talked about how there just doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason uh, to the, the flow of that. This play is my call. whole thing. I said, I think I said this in the Sunday show. Maybe I didn't. 
I've had a lot of conversations this week about Marcus Satterfield, but um, what what are you calling in the first quarter that sets up what you're doing in the fourth quarter? What are you calling on drive two that is going to open up a lane on drive six? Like, I guess that's kind of what I look for in offensive play callers in general. Obviously, you need to get your best players in the field, get them the ball, personnel, blah, blah, blah. We've had that discussion a lot, but sequencing and how are you setting yourself up for success later in the game when you're when the other team inevitably adjusts? Um, that's kind of what you look for in a play caller. I think that's kind of what separates really good play callers, college or the NFL, um, between ones who aren't as good. And the sequencing is kind of not really there, or at least not. It's hard. It's hard to see what the general plan is on a week to week basis right now, other than just give the ball to Lloyd and hope he does Marshawn Lloyd things. And to be fair, when that when he did, uh, I do feel like there was a little bit more creativity off of some of those um, run calls later in the Kentucky and Texas A and M game. The reverse, yeah, I'll give credit. Yeah. The Jalen Brooks reverses; those are good. Yeah, yeah, and a couple of play action opportunities and stuff. But um, it did. It was very apparent last week that when the Lloyd run <laughs> wasn't working, uh, he did not have much of a pivot. Now, to be fair, this is something that I was thinking about. Um, the other day it to be fair to him and the team and all of that um lloyd seemed like he was really trying to get it out and maybe you start several of those drives thinking like okay lloyd says he's ready we're going to be able to kind of do what we do um and then he would run in there for a play or two and then get pulled out and so now you're like pivoting on the fly and it's third down already or, or whatever um so I, I I could see that disrupting the rhythm last week of him coming in, coming out, coming in, coming out. Um, but I mean, I, that's just me trying to give him a little. Here's uh, my that. like peace someone off. Someone asked him what he thought is if he could do anything differently from Saturday, would he have? Which is a fair question. And he said, I don't. You probably saw this. If you watched the presser. His biggest problem or mistake Saturday was they went to what they call rally mode when they got the ball back down twenty three to ten after Missouri's last field goal about 12 minutes on the clock. They went to rally mode, which is where they're just calling quick plays, no huddle, try to move the ball, score. Um, and Satterfield said they should have just stuck with the playbook, done what they were doing. Even if it took eight minutes to score and there was only four minutes left, they just needed to get a touchdown on that drive. And my response to that and what I'm still kind of confused about is, A, you, see, you think you should have been sticking with what you were doing the first three and a half quarters and had 10 points. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And B, is your rally mode a third and 18 tunnel screen? <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be smarmy about that, but like that was the drive where they said they were in rally mode that he wanted back. Um, is that really what you think? Is that what the rally mode is supposed to look like? Um, and I asked him about the air yards. He didn't really give much of an answer, but that's, that was kind of a confusing answer to me. If we're talking about, you know, how satisfied I am with what I heard Wednesday or how satisfied should South Carolina fans be. That was a very confusing answer to me. Yeah. Um, and also like the one drive that they scored a touchdown on last week, I guess that that was them doing what they wanted to do, but it was, it was kind of a hurry up ish. Sure. It was less than a minute left and a half. Yeah. Um, and also they were aided heavily by pass interference and, uh, defensive holding and stuff on that drive. But anyway, um, we will see how it looks this week. I, I just wanted to take a moment to like uh, pump the brakes on like, oh man, he should be fired today. Yeah, he that's should, not yeah. going to happen. Yeah, right. Like that's just, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, I do wonder, and we'll just talk about this for just a second. Like 
do you think South Carolina should continue, whether it's with Satterfield, with whoever they bring in, whatever, should they continue trying to run this like pro style sort of system, which it seems like is attractive to quarterbacks, like the quarterback recruiting, including picking up Rattler in the, in the transport portal or whatever has been excellent since the staff got here. You have uh, several fours on campus with um, Tanner Bailey and you got Dante Reno coming in in 2024 right now. Um, you got a walk-on in Jalen Daniels, who is a very talented guy for a walk-on. Uh, Gothier was a four-star, I believe. Braden Davis is an underrated, I think, three-star. Um, so the quarterback room looks great. It seems like a lot of people want to come in and play for this pro-style system. But it's college football, and we see that a lot of the best offenses in college football are not trying to a lot of the best offenses in the pros right now aren't running a pro style system anymore. They're playing to their personnel. Uh, they're getting their athletes in space and running some sort of like spread concept or almost borderline air raid at times. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on just like, should they keep beating their head against this pro style wall because it helps with recruiting or should they? Yeah. I mean, you know what else helps with recruiting that was winning. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a heavy conversation for the day before a trip to Vanderbilt, but um, yeah, I, I do kind of think you need to, it really just get the ball to your best player in space. That's such a beating. You talk about beating your head against the wall. It's such a beat against your head against the wall concept. We say it every week. We see coaches, we see players, we see that really is what it comes down to. The best offenses you can think of, Ever, I mean, the whole LSU offense in 2019 was, wow, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are really good. Let's throw them the ball in space. Um, and I'm not saying you're going to average 50 points a game or whatever that team did, of course. Um, but that's the whole thing. You watch Tennessee now. They're lining up receivers basically on the sideline right now, all the way across the field. You make the, make the defense defend all 53 yards of the field horizontally, and you're probably going to end up with guys in space. And once a week, Jalen Hyatt's wide open in the end zone because he found space. Um so, yeah, I do think you kind of got to go to the spread and the space stuff more. Um, that is probably more of an off-season conversation rather than just what needs to happen tomorrow, which is whatever gets you a win on the scoreboard in, in Nashville. Yeah. Well, and from a recruiting standpoint, cool, you're getting these quarterbacks in that want to play a pro style, but the wide receivers uh, have not been coming. And we just saw four-star, you know, South Carolina leading the whole way in his recruitment. Um in-state guy Mazio Bennett choose Tennessee why because Tennessee's offense is way more fun <laughs> um that I mean that's really what it comes down to and Jalen Hyatt is a guy from South Carolina that uh the previous now this isn't on Beamer and company the previous staff uh did not prioritize him maybe they don't even land him if they do or whatever but yeah it's just uh, yeah We'll talk about that again in the offseason. You're right. But um, I do think maybe it's time to let a college football team have a college offense. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into predictions. So what do you think is actually going to happen in this game tomorrow? Like we said, it's going to be a little rainy, um, maybe a little chilly. And we kind of know we, we've kind of laid out like who these two teams are. I think South Carolina just has to find a way. Again, ugly. I don't expect this to light up the scoreboard. You're probably not going to have a very good time watching it if you're a South Carolina fan or a Vanderbilt fan listening to this, which we appreciate. Um, I said 23-17 South Carolina. I don't think that satisfies anyone that much. I don't think it 
calms any of the questions about the, the offense. But Vanderbilt has lost 25 straight SEC games for a reason. And I do – it is kind of a – I can't really pick Vanderbilt to win until I see it. And for all the questions I have about South Carolina, I still think they're the better team here. Um, and they're going to find a way to score enough points on this Vanderbilt defense to win and get bowl eligible. What do you think? So, yeah, I have a similar thing. You don't have them covering the spread, though. The spread was I do not. seven last time I saw it. Um, I have South Carolina 24, Vanderbilt 13. Um, I do think it's going to be ugly. That looks like a backdoor sort of, sort of cover to me, like – probably 17 13 and then South Carolina scores late to kind of put it to bed or whatever. But I do expect this one to be sweaty still in the fourth quarter, at least for a little while. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if South Carolina started, comes out and just clicks and blows them out either. Like it'd be extremely South Carolina after last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm going with most likely scenario, I think it's kind of a, a battle until the fourth quarter, but then South Carolina's talent just kind of, wheels their way through uh speaking of that 25 game losing streak to sec teams though i mean if if vanderbilt does pull it off whew, that is going to be quite the headline um on sunday that they break that streak against a south carolina team that at that point will be fully in floundering mode um we will have full national picks on gamecockscoop.com later tonight actually because one of the games that we're picking uh, starts at 10 p.m. tonight. So we'll go ahead and have those in uh, this evening. I'll have my weekly recruiting wrap-up in this evening. Um, Alan will have his full his final preview and his predictions and all of that first thing tomorrow morning. And, yeah, we'll be hanging out on GameCocksGroup.com in the live thread for the game. Uh, so come hang out with us there, talk some ball, uh, talk about how much – you hate what's happening on offense. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be there to answer your questions. I'll be at the press box, uh, whatever Vanderbilt Stadium's called now. I know they got a new sponsor. Uh, you will be at home. Um, and yeah, I'll see you guys in Nashville. All right. Until next time or until Sunday when we review this game, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. We'll see you later.